0: You know, I'm a big believer that you go wherever you're focused. You know, whatever you're looking at, whatever you admire, whatever, whatever it is that you're focused on is the direction that your life will go. Uh, I look around the crowd today and I go, I go, gee, where is everybody? And, and you know, I, got, I can get a little depressed about that, couldn't I? You know, couldn't you? Yeah, we could get depressed about that, you know. And, and whenever the attendance is not good in church, what else declines? <laughs> yeah, finances. <laughs> finances decline because there's not as many people giving. So you could focus on that. You know, last week, Jenny, excellent job on the slides today. They were perfect. Yay. Last week they were not, right? It wasn't Jenny's fault. It was my fault. I had the wrong titles on the wrong songs and it was just a mess. And uh, we could focus on that, huh? Because it's hard to sing when you don't know the words, right? So you could, you know, it's just a bummer sometimes. And uh, we could focus on that. Uh, you know technology sometimes takes a dump and you just have to reboot and so that's a bummer sometimes sometimes we have difficult relationships in the church have you ever been mad at somebody in the church you know (laughs) yes Yes. (laughs) me okay not here good (laughs) you know I want to dodge that bullet and uh, yeah you know we could focus on that or we could choose to focus on something else couldn't we We could focus on the good things that are happening in our church. Uh, Just yesterday, we went and put 70 feet of drain pipe in in Julita's yard. 70 feet. Do you know how long it takes to dig 70 feet of trench line? You know, probably about a foot deep. I want you to know I did it all by myself. (laughs) Honest. Honest. You know, Guys that were there, did I do it all by myself? Yeah, I did it all by myself. 70 feet of trench line, about, you know, 8 to 10 inches deep. That's a long time. Yeah, I had a trencher, you know, and, and took about, <laughs> took about 35 minutes. But nonetheless, you know, but we got a chance to do that. Man, People came, we had lunch together. It was an awesome day yesterday. And, you know, I went home and I said, you know what, that's the church. That's the church where we get together and we help somebody out and uh, take care of stuff. You know, we, t- we have people jumping up in our church, taking leadership roles. The other day, I got a phone call from Pat Tim, who is not here today because she has her COPD is, is really bad. She's improving though, uh, but her COPD was bad. And she says, you know what, I am, and and I mean she could hardly talk. You know, her breath, was, she was so out of breath. And I thought, man, just get off the phone, stop talking. You know, but she was, you know, and she was just out of breath. And she says, Pastor Mike, you know, Lewis is out getting us some food for today, but I can't get out of the house and he's not feeling well. Do you think you could get me some meals? You know, I think the church could provide some meals. I made one phone call, you know, to Ralphine and boom, the week was done. She te- actually, I didn't even call you, did I? I texted you. You know, is that a cheap way to do stuff? You can't be denied in text. You know, so I, I chose text and I texted her and she, she texted me back about an hour later and said, week's covered. And she a list of people. I mean, I'm just, I just go, man, you know, in other churches that I might pastor, I might have had to, you know, take two, three days to get all that together myself. Now I make one phone call or one text and it's done. People stepping up, taking leadership roles. You know, we could complain about our giving in our church, you know, because attendance might be a little bit low. But, you know, we've had a, enough money that we can give away. We give away a lot of money. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I don't know if you know, Dale, Dale, um, and Cheryl. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a funny story because Nancy Lee comes to me a couple of Sundays ago and she's got the newspaper and she says, you know what, I was reading the newspaper. And, and Nancy Lee, when she says she reads the newspaper, she reads the entire newspaper. There's a, the there's a legal notifications in there that say, you know, where people are, maybe their storage units are not being paid and they're going to auction. And she says, look, Dale's name. And I don't say that to rat him out or anything, you know, but I just want you to know that we are able to provide for him and save his storage unit, you know, because of your giving. And that's what the church does. You know, the church notices stuff. And thank thank God for Nancy Lee, uh, you know, that she could see that we made a phone call to Dale. He said, no, no, I got it covered. And things didn't turn out quite like he thought it was going to. And so then we helped him out. And and I just say, you know, that's awesome that we as a little church like this can do some really cool things. We help a family right now um, make medical payments. And I mean, it's just awesome to be able to do stuff like that. Uh, We helped a young lady a a year or so ago uh, get a computer. So when she went to school, she'd have a computer at school. It was just awesome because, and you know what the cool thing is, is that we don't have to raise additional money to do that, but we're able to help people out. So, uh, you know, we can focus on the bad or we can focus on the good, can't we? You know, the church, they had a choice to make similarly. And we're going to talk, we're going to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. But I want you to know that they could have focused on the negative. The early church could have focused on the negative. But instead, what they chose to focus on was, number one, to recognize God's blessings. They chose to, instead of say. Oh, what we look at what we don't have. They chose to say, look at what we do have. And I don't know how you live your life, but a lot of times we live our lives looking at what we don't have, what we want to have, what we need to have, maybe. And we don't look at what we do have. I hope that you change the whole way that you think about this thing, because we're going to see here in a minute. That the apostles are going to get thrown in prison and they're going to break out. And today's title is Break Out. I want you to break out of the Christian mold that you've been cast in for years and years and years, maybe. You know, because we have this thing that says, you know, here I am, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for a while now, and I expect the same things that I expected yesterday, the day before, and the day before, and the day before. But I want you to break out of that mold, and I want you to see God from a new perspective today. So I want you to, number one, recognize God's blessings. Notice in verses 12 through 16 of Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. Uh, No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, that's what the church chose to focus on. Because you know what happened just prior to this? Ananias and Sapphira died. Remember, they held back some of the offering that they were going to bring to the apostles. They sold some land, and they were going to bring that, but they held back some, and they promised, apparently, that they would give it all to God's work. And God killed them for lying to him. Now, they could have focused on that, couldn't they? They could have said, oh, you know what? Our leadership is in turmoil. In fact, here in a minute, some of them are going to get thrown in prison. And furthermore, some of the congregation, boy, they're dying, and boy, aren't we a little bit scared? And even in light of that, There were some people among them, and it says in verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they highly regarded the people of the church. They said, wow, there's something here that's going on that I'm not sure that I want to get involved. So they could have said, you know what? Attendance is down. Giving is poor, and woe is us. But they chose to focus on God's blessings instead. They said, you know what? As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. They focused on the good that was happening in the church, the healing that took place okay? Physical healing took place in this church. They also had spiritual healing. They had people that were uh, plagued by demonic spirits, and they were healed as well, spiritual healing. And so they were bringing people, and all of this stuff was going on in the church, and that's what they chose to focus on. Now, they focused on the apostles and the miraculous things that God was doing. Now, uh, most likely, uh, they f- and mostly, they focused on God's blessings because there was some bad stuff that was going on in the church, right? You know, Ananias and Sapphira died. You know, the leadership's about getting ready to throw in prison, okay? Now, I say we need to focus on the good. Now, some of you might say, well, that sounds like kind of some pop psychology, but I dare say that, you know, that's what the Bible instructs us to do. In Philippians 4, 8, and it's gonna be on the screen. It's not in your outline. It says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what you think about. You focus your mind on those things. And you want to jot that down on your program today, on your outline, because you need to go back and memorize that. What should I be thinking about? You know, how many of you watch news at night? You know, and what do you do? You think about that, don't you? You know, and, and let me ask you this. After you watch the news and you think about it a little bit, do you feel better or worse? worse. <laughs> why do we do that? You know, why are we curious about, you know, the stuff that's going on in the world that makes us actually feel worse about stuff? I want you to go back to Philippians 4, eight. Whatever is true. OK, is a truth is the news truth. Sometimes. I don't know. I don't know what is and what isn't, to be honest with you. Whatever is noble, is the news noble? Eh, Sometimes there's a good story in there, but, boy, you have to wade through a lot of junk to get to it. Whatever is right, okay, a lot of times, you know, I I saw in the news a couple of weeks ago about a man, he no longer identifies as a man, he identifies as a woman. Now, this is a, a man as white as I am, he identifies now as a woman, and not just a woman, but a Filipino woman. And he's as white as I am. Now, I love Filipino people, And they asked him, why do you want to identify as a Filipino? They weren't even worried about the man and woman thing. They wanted to find out why you identified as a Filipino, because that's really different. And he said, well, I like their food and I like their culture. I like their music. And I said, okay. Now, whatever is right, is that, is that, now, how do you know what's right in that situation? I want you to be happy how God created you to be. I want you to be happy about that. Most people, when it comes to gender identification and all that kind of stuff, they're unhappy with what God has created them to be, because they believe that what God created them to be was to bring greatest fulfillment to them, okay? And it's, I want to be most fulfilled, so therefore I'm going to identify as a whatever. Actually, I want to be be a Native American. You know, I'm going to identify as a Native American, and then I'm going to build a casino in my back room, okay? And I'm going to make some money. But, you know, it becomes ludicrous at some point, you know, just giving people the freedom to identify with whatever they want to be. So, whatever is right, whatever is pure, okay, focus on those things that are pure. Not those things that are diluted with good and bad, good and evil, those kinds of things. But focus on whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, focus on that stuff. So, let's change what we put into our head because what we put into our head comes out in our lives. Okay? It comes out in just how we live. And so therefore, if we want to change the way we live, let's change what we put into our heads and into our minds. So recognize God's blessings. No matter what has happened in your life, God has blessed you. Now, some people in this room have gone through some tremendously difficult times in life. Okay? Tremendously difficult. But yet, there's always that silver lining out there of God's care and concern and love, even in the midst of all of the junk that goes on in life, okay? So recognize God's blessing. Number two, okay, if we want to break out of the mold, we need to rely on God's direction. Rely on God's direction. I know I spent a lot of my life, you know, my younger life, pursuing my goals, you know, my dreams, what I wanted, uh, how I wanted to be and all that stuff. And I'll tell you, it didn't come to a very good end until I met Cindy. And then my whole, my whole life changed. And I became concerned for someone else. And it was, it's interesting how that change happens in your life. There might be a, a marriage that causes that to happen. It might be a closeness to God that causes that to happen. But when we change the focus from what I want to what I was designed to be, then there's a whole different perspective. Notice in Acts 17, or 5, 17 through 32. Then the priests... And then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees. Now, what do we know about Sadducees? Why are they sad? They don't believe in the resurrection, right? So they are sad, you see. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I don't know. I I just kinda like that. Okay. Now, these guys were filled with jealousy. Anytime you're filled with jealousy, that should be like a red light coming on on the dashboard of your car saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. Your focus is in the wrong place. So they were filled with jealousy. It goes on to say they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, what were they, what were they jealous of? All of the things that had just happened in the previous paragraph. Now, what, what had happened? Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, if if you have a rival religion going on and there's something really hot happening over here, do you get a little bit jealous? Should you? If God is active somewhere, let's be excited about that. You know, and if God is active in a church other than ours, good. God, I hope well, I pray that God is active in every church that meets today, every church that meets anytime. Uh, I pray that God is active there and that good things happen. Because that's what we're about—we're about God getting recognition, not about us getting recognition. When you become jealous, it's going to generally be because somebody else is getting something that you're not. Okay, and you get jealous. Okay, churches can be jealous of each other, uh, but I believe that we are all part of the same team. Every church is part of the same team. Every evangel—well, every Christian church—and. And See me afterwards if you want to know what a Christian church is. But every Christian church is part of the kingdom of God. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. And so many times we get divided. You know, we get messed up because, oh, somebody left this church and went to that church or left that church and came to this church. And and we go, oh, dear, what's going on? You know, God's at work. You know, and if people leave a church and go to another church, I pray it's for a good reason. Okay, make sure it's a good reason. And it's a God led decision. Not something that just, well, I I just need a change of whatever, or a better show over here than they have over there. Okay, So be careful about that. But anyway, they got put in jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. That's a pretty miraculous thing, isn't it? I mean, all of a sudden you're in jail, you're locked in, and an angel comes and lets you out. And notice what it says. It doesn't say let them out. It says brought them out. The angel accompanied them on the way out. Now, the, the angel gave some instructions in verse 20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Tell all the people about this new life. That's our mission, to tell all the people that we have contact with about the new life that we have. You know, I've, you know, it's, and it's not a hard conversation to have. You know, hey, I've, I've, I've been going to church. Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church. So said, man, you ought to. Why? Ah, because it brings new life, you know, and to tell about your new life. That's all you have to do. It's pretty easy to talk about God and talk about Jesus when you, when you ask some questions. Do you go to church? No. I go to church. Why don't you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. I don't. Why do you go to church? You know, people are very defensive. You ask them a question, they're going to reflect that question back to you. So you want them to ask you why you go to church. So what do you do? You ask them, do you go to church? No, do you? They want to get the focus back. I go, yeah, I do. You know, and I go because boop, 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 boop. tell about the new life. It's not that hard. It says, go stay to the temple courts. He said, and tell all the people about this new life at daybreak. OK, so apparently they got busted out at night. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Now, how long did it take them to do the instructions of God? Yeah, merely hours, I would say. As soon as people got up and about, you know, the sun came up, people came to the temple courts. They were there. Hey, and here they go. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. Okay, Now, what is the Sanhedrin? It's kind of like a court, and it just gives a little brief description here. The full assembly of the elders of Israel. Okay. Now, what it really means is the Jewish elders and the guys that held sway over what was right and wrong. Okay. That's what the Sanhedrin did. And they, they sent uh, to the jail for the apostles. Now, you can imagine they sent for the apostles. Where are the apostles? They're in the temple court teaching. <laughs> so they sent somebody, they sent a lackey out there uh, to go get them. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Well, what a surprise. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, now, what had they been already instructed? Don't teach in the name of Jesus. They'd already been instructed, right? We found that out a couple of weeks ago. Now let's see what happens. Verse 26, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, if they didn't use force, it sounds to me like the apostles came willingly, didn't they? Now, if you get hauled to court, do you go kicking and screaming or do you go willingly? You know, most of the times I'm a little reluctant, you know. I'm a little defensive. I really don't want to go. But, you know, why is that? Because usually we've done something wrong. But if you got called to court, if you had not done anything wrong and you got hauled into court, would you go more willingly or less willingly? Might be a little less willingly, unless we understand that God orchestrates circumstances. And God has orchestrated this circumstance for the apostles to appear before the court because they're going to speak the word of God. Now, if you get hauled into court and there's if you read the Bible very much, you have found that in the last days you're going to be hauled into court. Okay, you're going to have to defend yourself. And and Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say there, because I will put the words in your mouth. Don't worry. Now, it seems to me like that's a similar circumstance to what we find here in Acts chapter five, because they are in court for the purpose of God not for the defense of themselves, but for the purpose of God. And so if we change the way we think, we tweak it a little bit and realize, okay, I'm here for the purpose of God, therefore, wherever I find myself, I'm going to be able to speak on his behalf, whether it be in court, whether it be at a hospital, whether it be wherever I am, I'm here for the purpose of God, and I have something to say then I look forward to that. So I think the apostles came willingly, saying, oh, let's see what God's going to do now. Now, these guys had just been in prison the night before, right? And an angel came and broke them out. Apparently, he didn't even unlock the doors, just got them out. Because when the guy came, the doors were locked, the guards were still there. They didn't even know they were gone. So you, you experience a miracle like that, and you say, God's up to something. God is up to something. Whenever you experience things that are different, Okay? It could be a tragedy. It could be a blessing. It could be something. Always default to the thought that God is at work. God is doing something. Let's see what's next. And that's what the apostles were. In verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We, fu- we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now, I love verse 28 because they don't even use the name of Jesus, do they? We told you not to teach in that name. Not in the name of Jesus, not in anything, but in the name, we told you not to teach in that name. They wouldn't even use the word. They wouldn't even say the word Jesus. They wouldn't say the name. And I often wonder, why wouldn't they? You know, because when you stop and think, the name of Jesus has some tremendous power. You know, the name of Jesus has tremendous power. And they wouldn't even try to infringe on that. So, Uh, They said, uh, we give you strict orders not to teach in this name. Uh, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, were they guilty of this man's blood? Remember back in in the Gospels, when they're getting ready to crucify Jesus, uh, Pilate's trying to get him out of it, you know, trying to give him a way out here. There's Barabbas, there's all this stuff. We can, I don't find any fault with this man. And what did they cry out? They said, crucify him, crucify him. They even verbalized the words, let his blood be upon us. Let his blood be upon us. Now, there's two ways to look at that, isn't there? Let the guilt of all of that be upon us. Which is what they were really saying. If there is going to be guilt about this situation, let that be upon us. But man, you know what? Every one of us who has been redeemed, is his blood upon us? Yes. Yeah, in a cleansing way. In a cleansing way. So man, I love it when they say, let his blood be upon us. Because they were saying something that they really didn't quite fully understand. You know. And so here they are. Now in verse 28 they say, Uh, You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They have already said, let this blood be upon us. So, you know, I find little um, help for them. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. Now, wouldn't that be a cool motto for us? We must obey, obey God rather than human beings. It's more important for us to be pleasing to our creator than it is to be pleasing to our fellow men. Have you ever, have you ever had a, a situation where you were in a quandary as to what to do? And you knew the right thing to do, but yet it was more important to be pleasing to someone else. You ever been there? I want you to remember what the apostles said here. It's more important for us to obey God than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, when you follow God's direction, make sure that your motive is to make him known. Okay, a lot of times you'll hear people say, to bring glory to him. Okay? But your goal in being obedient to God, following his direction, is so that God will be made known. Not so that you will be made pure. Okay? Or that you will be made favorable in the, in the sight of other people. It's not for you that you obey God, even though there are benefits to you for obeying God. It's not your primary goal, but your primary goal is to bring recognition to God. Let him be made known. Okay. Now, how how many times have we followed God so that we could benefit? You know, I I want to be pleasing God, and maybe He'll smile kindly, and and maybe He'll provide for me, and maybe He'll do this. And if I follow God, there's benefits for me. You know, and I want you. I want us to get beyond that because that's the typical, common Christian mold. If I obey God, He'll smile kindly on me, and everything will go well for me. No, let's change the way we think because what's our goal? Our goal is to make God known. Make God known. Whatever I do and however I follow Him is the is is has a goal of making Him known. Okay? Now, God's desire, God's desire is for me to make Him known. Did you know that? That's why God works in you and through you. Not so that you are the end result recipient of what He's doing, but so that He can be made known through you, through you. And that's why we need to tell our story. That's why we need to tell people about this new life that we have. And so that God could be made known. Now, it's interesting because when it comes to the church, a lot of times we say, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that in order to get more people to come to the church and build the church and make it strong and make it all this stuff. I want you to know that it's not our job to build the church. It's not my job to build the church. It's not your job to build the church. What's your job? What's my job when it comes to the church? Be the church. Okay? Our job is to be the church. And when we are the church, and I'm going to be grammatically incorrect here, when we be the church, then what's going to happen to the church? It's going to be attractive to other people. When the church does what it's supposed to do, it becomes attractive and people want to be a part of it. Remember what happened earlier here in, in chapter five. You know, they went and they taught and they did this stuff. The little pe- people were a little reticent, you know, to come be part of it because, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. But yet the church increased, continued to increase. Why did it increase? Because it didn't, you know, they didn't do flashy programs. They didn't do all this stuff. They were just the church. They they operated in community with each other. They were related to each other. And so, therefore, they, they grew. Now, whose job is it to grow the church? Jesus. You know, Jesus says, one day Peter comes, he, he's, has an interaction. Jesus has an interaction with Peter. And uh, Jesus says, uh, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, oh, you're so-and-so or so-and-so. And some people say you're one of the prophets, whatever. And, and it goes on and he further says, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, now I want you to remember those words. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, now because here's what Jesus says about that declaration. He says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but it's my Father in heaven who has revealed that to you. So you didn't just learn that. My Father revealed that to you. And he goes further and he says, and, and he changes his name and stuff, and he gets to the end, and he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus wants to build the church based on the revelation that he has made to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. A lot of people say, well, he's going to build it on Peter because he changed his name to rock, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when you read it in context, you'll find that the revelation in Peter is what he built the church on. Now, that revelation is in us as well, right? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to build this church on that. Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. Okay, now, if Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and we live in community with each other like we are designed to do, will that be an attractive thing or an ugly thing? Oh, it's going to be an attractive thing. It's going to be lights out. We're going, to, we're going to be like the early church. Remember, we studied a couple of weeks ago that what did they have in common? Everything. They didn't own anything. They held everything in common. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. And uh, so, you know, the, when that happens in the church, let's all get to the same size, okay, so that your clothes fit me. I know, that was pretty corny. That was pretty corny. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's what made the church so attractive. Now, thousands of them, man, it just blew up. People were attracted to that kind of community, where we are brothers and sisters, where we're family with each other, where we share each other's burdens, where we love one another without condition. Those kinds of things. Uh, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about yesterday. We got a chance to, to be the community of believers, go to Julita's house. She prepared us a great lunch and uh, we got a chance to do some stuff in her yard. And I mean, it was just an awesome thing. And, and the feeling that you get when you participate in something like that is, is real connection. Real connection. It's not something fake or phony or anything. It's just, man, we came and did this, and man, we're in it together, and and the lumpia was great. So, um, so now, what will what will it take for us to be that kind of church? There's two things. Number one, true love, true love, actual, not just loving because Jesus says we have to love each other, but the real, true love that says, man, my heart breaks when you hurt, I rejoice when you benefit. Those kinds of feelings should be in us. You know, and let me say, love is more than feeling. Love is action. So, but, but love without feeling is empty. It's empty. You know? And so I, I want us to have feeling with our love, but love based on the truth of people. Now, I heard on the radio, and you might have heard this same thing, uh, Timothy Keller wrote some stuff, and, and uh, he's a pastor of a big church in New York. And he wrote, and essentially he said, to be, to be loved and not known. Okay, there's two elements to this this relationship that we have. One is being loved, right? Being known. You know, why do we wear fig leaves so often? Because we're fearful of people really knowing us. So we dress up things, we hide things, we do stuff. And so just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we wear fig leaves and act different or do different or whatever. Because we fear that if people actually knew us, they wouldn't like us. Right? If they knew the real me, they would think differently of me. But Timothy Keller says, to be loved and not known is superficial. If I just say I love you because you come to this church and I don't really know you, you know, that's superficial, isn't it? You know, and that's why so many times you know, in churches, we love each other, but we don't even know each other. And that's sad. So that's why projects like we did yesterday, we get to know each other. You know, we spend time with each other. And the next time we do one of these, I want you to come. Even if you don't do a lick of work, just hang out with us. Uh, and it'll give me permission to maybe slack off a little bit. But, but, you know, but, but just the community of being together. Uh, creates uh, an atmosphere where we can know each other and we can love each other. So he says, first of all, to, to be known or to be loved without being known is superficial. Okay? He says, secondly, to be known and not loved is the greatest fear that we all have. You know, That's why we don't reveal who we really are. Because we're fearful that people won't love us if they really know us. Now, that's not the way the church is. okay. Unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance is the way Jesus loves us, right? He loved us just like we were before we came to know him, right? In, a, in the depth of our depravity, in our ultimate depth of sinfulness, he loved us enough to what? To die for us. And when he died for us, he said, I accept you just as you are. But there's a further message to that which says, I love you too much to leave you like that. It wouldn't be true love for me just to say, okay, I forgive you and you can just, you know, wallow in your squander, right, you know, for the rest of your life. That wouldn't be love. Jesus says, I love you too much to leave you like that. So follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you to fulfill the greatest spiritual potential that you have, the greatest redemptive potential that you have. I'll cause that to happen because I love you too much to leave you in this squalid condition, okay? Okay now true love okay the second thing that we need in order to become that tr- that church is number 1 the true love the second is radical sacrifice radical sacrifice and we talked about it a little bit last week where i don't own anything anymore what i have is yours what you have is mine we have hold all this stuff in community that's what the early church did they said i don't have ownership rights anymore i have user rights you know and i can use it but if you need it you use it and when we become a community like that, boy, I'll tell you what, people will throng to the church. People will throng to the church. Okay. So, first of all, recognize God's blessings. You know, If we want to break out of this Christian mold that we've been cast in, break out, recognize God's blessing, rely on God's direction, and thirdly, rejoice in suffering for God's name. Rejoice in suffering for God's name. You know, a lot of times people don't think that, that in fact I'd say most Christians don't believe that Christians ought to suffer. But I want you to read First Peter. Uh, in fact, probably when we get done with Acts here, we'll teach through First Peter. Uh, because he talks about suffering for the cause of Christ. He says, if you if you suffer because you did something wrong, you know, if you were speeding on the freeway and you got a ticket, that's not suffering. That one's just being dumb. Okay, so that doesn't count. But he says, if you truly suffer for doing good, for doing righteousness, then you have the opportunity to rejoice. Why? Because you get to be counted like Christ. Jesus suffered. He died. And, he, and, and the apostles, they're going to experience something right here that's, that's going to give us a new perspective on suffering, because it identifies us with Jesus. In verses 33 through 42, it says this. Uh, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, what did they just hear? Well, they, um, they said what? We must obey God, not men. Okay? And so when the, the leaders heard that, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. Now, there's a guy named Gamaliel. He was a teacher of the law, and he was one of, of Paul's mentors. Okay? Paul was a student of Gamaliel. He says, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Let's have a private discussion, is what they said. So they put the guys outside. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census that led, and led a brand of people to revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Okay? Now, he knew a spiritual principle here, and the spiritual principle is, is that whatever is ultimately successful for, for a long period of time, I'm going to say... Uh, in the, in the scheme of God, the truly successful things are from God. Those that try to appear like God, spiritual endeavors that try to appear like God, okay, they're going to fail. They're not going to last. Now, how many of you get kind of upset about some of the new upstart religions that we have in our, in our society today? You know, I do. I get a little bit upset about them, you know, because I think that they could lead people astray and they could hurt people. But, Jesus tells a story one time, and, it, and it's a story of the, the weeds and the wheat. And some, this guy had a wheat field, and he's growing up wheat, and somebody scattered some weeds in it that looked just like wheat until they blossomed, until the wheat was produced. And so the, the worker says to the owner, says, well, What do you want us to do? You want us to go out there and tear up the weeds? And the owner says, No, no, no. Don't tear up the weeds, because if you tear up the weeds, you might take some of the wheat with it. Wait until harvest time, and it will be clear what the weeds and the wheat are. And so, I, I don't know. I think we need to make a good defense for the case of Christianity. But to go out and say, you know, this, this religion ought to be done away with, or done away, you know, I don't know that that's the proper um, approach. Because, uh, like uh, Gamaliel says here, if it's from God, it'll last. If it's not from God, it won't last. Now, in verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, do you sometimes think, oh, man, I wish our church was more effective. I wish it was, I wish it was more, you know, and I, and I do. I find myself doing it. And I come back to verse 39. If this is from God. We're not, nobody's going to be able to stop us. You know, We ourselves could stop us, but nobody from the outside can stop us. And so if we continue to be consistent with loving each other and making radical sacrifice so that others can have when we have plenty, then there's nothing that can stop that. God will cause that to uh, succeed. In verse 40, uh, Gamaliel's speech persuaded them. He called the apostles in and had them flogged, Now, I don't know, how do you feel about flogging? Uh, I'm not crazy about that, but notice the response here. Notice the response. Okay. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, uh, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, they get flogged. Now, it was a rule in the day that you could whip them with a flog, you could flog them with a whip. And, and in this whip, there were little metal shards that were tied to the thongs that would just, just tear your skin off. And the rule was you could lash them 39 times. The belief was that if you, if you lash them 40 times, they would die. And so, therefore, we want to be just under the death threshold. so 39 times and quite possibly they got flogged 39 times and they came away, their skin scarred, you know, bleeding. But yet what was their response? They rejoiced because they said, wow, we're right here. We're with Jesus and we're experiencing the same thing that he experienced. This is true identification. Now, I hope that we get to that place someday. That we say, you know what? My goal is to identify with Jesus so closely, so well, that I will do exactly like he did. And I will get what he got. And I will rejoice because I have been counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. I was such a threat to someone that they lashed me 39 times. I had the power of God within me that they recognized. And it became such a threat to them that they had to do something violent to me. Awesome. You know, that's not the way we think, though, is it? We need to break out of our self-preservation stronghold and say, you know what, my life is here for God. And if he chooses to flog my life 39 times or allow it to be flogged 39 times so that he can receive recognition, let it be. Let it be. And that's what made the radical difference. Now notice, in verse 42, day after day in the temple courts, okay, at the church, and from house to house, okay, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, how do you get to there? How do you get to that point where you say, well, gee, if I suffer, you know, if I get whipped, I'll, I'll, I'll rejoice. Well, let me just give you a couple of things here. First, you have to surrender your life to be used by God to make him known. You have to say, that's my goal in life. My goal in life is not to be happy. My goal in life is not to be comfortable. My goal in life is so that Jesus can be made known. That's why I'm here. Okay? You have to make that, that commitment first. And then secondly, you have to seize every opportunity that God gives you to do that. Grab the opportunity. And we have to have eyes wide open. And I want you to see everything that happens in your life as an orchestration of God. Okay? I bumped into so-and-so this week. What a coincidence. No, no. Not a coincidence, that was an orchestration of God. God had some business for you to take care of there. Oh man, I was stalled forever in this line and that line. Oh, that was so that you could connect with the people in front of you and behind you. God has a purpose for that. So don't just stand there and waste your time. Use it profitably for God's, for God's business. Last week, uh, Cindy's car took a dive on us again and uh, it was all her fault. But uh, uh, her alternator went out. And so I had to take my car from where I live which is over Dixon Hill and and Dover area. I had to take it to Ryan's Automotive, which is over by Dave's Hamburgers. Now, the alternator was bad, so about a third of the way there, it went into protect mode, and it idled. All you could do was idle. So I'm idling down Dover, and I come down, and I had to get finally to, what is that street there, Travis? And I got to Travis, and I'm going down, Travis and everybody, I've got my four-way flashers on. I'm just trying to get my car fixed, folks, sorry. And it didn't mean to be any inconvenience. And I have to get over to make a left turn. And I'm, oh, i got a break here, and I, got, and I came in through your neighborhood, you know, and I'm winding around. I don't know where I am, but I know that I have to idle. So I'm going to try to go through as many housing things as I can. And I am through, idle through, idle through, idle through and get get there. And, and then finally I get out over there by the Catholic Church and I have to come down West Texas and make a left turn into Ryan's Automotive. And I'm honk, honk, eh, what's wrong? Here? honk, honk. You know, I finally get there and go, whew. You know, and I thought, you know what? This was really kind of a pain in the rear. And this was really kind of a difficult time for me. But, you know, God had a plan for that. And so I get the good news that it's going to be a lot of money to fix her car, more than the car's worth, probably. And so I said, go for it. we got to have a car. And so now I'm at Ryan's Automotive, and I have no way home. I go, well, you know what? I'm an adventurous kind of guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride the bus. So I go, I go across the street and I go down to this bus stop. And the buses are really cool here because you can text. There's a little number that you can text and it'll tell you when the next bus is coming by. So I did. It says, oh, it's going to be here in 14 minutes. 14 minutes goes by. I text again. Oh, it's going to be 28 minutes. What? It's no closer. It's farther away. And so I text again. Oh, it's going to be two minutes. Oh, no. I text again. You know, two minutes goes by. I text again. It took an hour for the bus to get there. And while I was sitting there, while I was sitting there, there's this lady, a Hispanic lady, and she's waiting, and I'm just chatting with her a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out, why does God have me here? All of a sudden, this man comes walking by, very aggressive man, and, uh, you know, he's not fully mentally capable. And, and he starts growling at this lady and starts putting his head out and talking about how people that are not Americans shouldn't be here. And, and he's just really, and, uh, and I'm standing here, she's here, and he's over here and the little bus shelter thing. And I think, okay, God has me here for a purpose. I think it's to bring a little justice here. And so I, I go and I kind of stand by the lady and he's still, rrr, rrr. and so I go stand between him and the lady and he backs up a little bit. I go, oh, I'm onto something here. And so I just decide, you know, I'm gonna walk straight at this guy. Just walk at him and see what he does. So I turn, I start walking at him and he just, Boop, he turns around and starts retreating. You know, and pretty soon I had him a block down the road. You know, and I came back and waited another 40 minutes for the bus. But, you know, sometimes we would wonder why we are there. You know, and people are going to say, oh, you should have called me. I could have come and gotten you. No, I think that when we put ourselves in those other kinds of situations like that, God's got a plan for us to do something. And so take advantage of those opportunities when he shows them to you. And who knows what's going to happen, Um, you know, but nonetheless, We can we can find something to do that will cause the cause of Christ to cause God to be made known. Uh, Now, we don't suffer a lot in our in our nation for knowing Christ and for being Christian. Uh, But in other countries, they do. In Iran, they do a lot. Uh, There was a man, Pastor Syed Abedini, and he was in prison. He's recently been released. Uh, He was in prison there for years for preaching the cause of Christ. And he had such a marvelous attitude. Uh, in 2014, he wrote a Christmas letter. And the end of his Christmas letter goes like this. The same way that the stones in itself and produces lava, the fiery love of God, Jesus Christ, through the Virgin Mary's womb came to same process. The work of the Holy Spirit is a fiery reign of God's holiness and mercy that flows into our body, soul, and spirit placed into us. And through us, making this dark, cold, wintry world into radiant, burning brightness. He is turning our world into a world of peace, joy, and love that is so different than the dark, cold, and wintry world that we live in. Hallelujah. So this Christmas, let the lava-like love of same lava love to the world around you, transforming them with the true message of Christmas. Signed, Pastor Dini. He wrote that, yet he could still see the work of God going on in him, through him, and around him. And I pray that when we at that point of suffering, that we will count it all joy. We will count it a blessing. In 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, do not be surprised by the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory